We're going to continue in our, our series uh, that we took a couple weeks off from uh, while I was on vacation. I appreciate so much Pastor Scott and then Brian Nelson from Sat7. Both men did a, an amazing job in bringing the Word, and uh, I appreciated that time off. We're going to jump back into the series we've been in all summer long, Practical Prayers. And this prayer that we're going to look at today um, really focuses in on something we can all all of us identify with and feel and struggle with at various times, and that's fear. Fear and being overwhelmed and obstacles in our paths, all of those things we can identify with readily. There are fears that maybe I have that you don't have, and likewise, you know, everybody doesn't have the same fear, but one thing that is common for everyone is everyone knows what it is to be afraid and to struggle with fears of various kinds. There are some major, major phobias that probably a few of you have and have in common. Uh, One of the major phobias that people struggle with is aerophobia. And just listening to that, you can probably figure out pretty easily what that's a fear of. It's the fear of flying, fear of flying. And maybe some of you that have had to fly, you wish that you never had done it still because of how much of a fear that is. Maybe it helped you get over it. But it's the fear of flying, and some people have a crippling fear of it. There's also mysophobia. That is the excessive fear of germs. How many germophobes do we have in here? Come on, be honest. Be honest. I'm one of them. One of them. The excessive fear of germs. There's claustrophobia, the fear of small spaces. I mean, even thinking about being in a closed space makes you feel like the ceiling's already coming down on you, you're starting to sweat, you're starting to get shaky. I'll stop. There's, there's agoraphobia, which is the fear of crowded spaces. It kind of goes along with claustrophobia, but it doesn't have to be confined spaces. You can be out in the open, but if you're out in the open with a lot of other people, then you start to get that hyperventilating type sensation, agoraphobia. Then there's acrophobia, which is the fear of heights. Kind of goes right along with that aerophobia. That could be a double whammy for a lot of people. There's aphidiophobia. That's a hard one and a fun one to say. Aphidiophobia. That's the fear of snakes. Snakes, those slithering, wonderful, wonderful creatures. The fear of snakes. Followed closely by arachnophobia, which is the fear of the creepy-crawly spiders. I think that a lot of people struggle. Yeah, I'm with you. A lot of people struggle with, uh, with the arachnophobia, uh, so much so that a whole movie was made about it, right? So those are major phobias, and you don't have to struggle with any one of those at all to still know what it is to struggle with fear. There's so many things that can enter our lives if we will allow them and cause us to be weighed down with and crippled by fear. That feeling of being helpless, hopeless, not knowing what to do and where to go, and being overwhelmed, being burdened. It can all translate to a terrible, terrible fear. And that's the the prayer that we're going to see today, that it, it centers around that feeling, that feeling of being overwhelmed and helpless and hopeless, not knowing what to do, not knowing how they're going to get out of this bind. So for this practical prayer that we're going to focus in on, we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 6. 
and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 17. I hope you'll look at that with me in your copy of God's Word. I'll be reading from the CSB translation, just so you're aware of that. Uh, It should be pretty easy for you to follow along, no matter what translation you have. 2 Kings 6, 8 through 17, and this prayer is the prayer of Elisha. We've already looked at the prayer of Elijah. This is Elisha, his successor. Elijah was taken into heaven in a miraculous way. There was a a chariot of fire that came down to receive him, and and Elisha was able to see him go, and he said, Oh, my master, the, the horsemen and chariots of Israel. And they came down and picked him up. And as he was going into heaven, Elijah threw his mantle down, and Elisha received it as a a very obvious symbol that he was going to succeed his master in the prophetic ministry. And Elisha had an amazing ministry, in some ways even greater than Elijah. And so this is in the heart of his ministry. He's been firmly established for a long time now as a prophet of Israel, a prophet to speak God's word to Israel and to speak the truth to the power of Israel, the ungodly kings. And so this is centering around one particular event um, in his life, and uh, we're going to zero in on the prayer that he prayed, not for himself and not for the nation of Israel, but for his servant, his assistant. Before we get to the prayer, we we need to go through and and see the the broader context of what's going on. So I'm going to read the whole passage, including the specific prayer. Then we'll go back up and we'll we'll unpack some of that and make some application, all right? So starting in verse 8, 2 Kings 6, verse 8, the Word of God says this, When the king of Aram, which is also Syria, some of your translations might say Syria, was waging war against Israel... He conferred with his servants, my camp will be at such and such a place. So in other words, we're going to go, we're going to set up camp in this location. That's where I want you to set up. We're going to use that as a base to go against Israel. We're going to raid Israel. We're going to, we're going to besiege them. That's where we're going to set up. Don't tell anybody. That's going to be where our base is. So keep it quiet, but I'm letting you know that's where I want us to be. Verse 9. But the man of God, which is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, you know, which was the uh, subject of this impending attack by Aram or by Syria. He sent word to the king of Israel, be careful passing by this place. And he names the place that the secret base of the king of Aram or Syria was going to be. So be careful passing by this place for the Arameans are going down there. They're going to set up camp there. Verse 10, consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the place the man of God had told him about. The man of God repeatedly warned the king so the king would be on his guard. And this gets back to the king of Aram. Verse 11, the king of Aram, as we would imagine, was enraged because of this matter. And he called his servants and demanded of them, tell me, which one of us is for the king of Israel? So in other words, which one of you are traitors? There's a traitor in our midst. Which one of you is the rat? How else would they know of our plans? How else would they know of what we were planning to do? And then verse 12, one of his servants said, No one, my lord the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel Israel, even the words you speak in your bedroom. In other words, 
they recognize this is a special guy. He's got some supernatural power on his side. He's able to do what nobody else can. It's as if he hears the words you say to no one else in the privacy of your bedroom. He hears it. God gives him the mind to hear that. That's the problem. It's Elisha. So the king heard that. He listens. He thinks. Verse 13, so the king said, Go and see where he is, so I can send men to capture him. So they did a little bit of reconnaissance, a little bit of spy work, found out. And when he was told, Elisha is in Dothan, verse 14 tells us, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. I mean, this is one guy. He did all this for one guy. That means they must have taken this man pretty seriously, right? They must have taken what he was able to do pretty seriously. He wasn't risking anything. He was like, there's no way I'm going to let this guy escape. I'm going to throw everything at him. We're going to make sure we get him and we get him good. So that's what they did. In verse 15, and here's the the central passage in this overall passage. Here's the central part of of our text, the, the next two verses, next three really, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, oh my master, what are we to do? Can't fault this guy. That would have been your reaction too. You wake up, stretch, ah, you know, you're just going off for your, your first morning stroll and you see all that. My master, what are, we, what are we to do? In verse 16, Elisha said, don't be afraid. <laughs> I mean, can you put yourself in the servant's place? That's what you hear. Don't be afraid. It's nothing. Just horses and chariots surrounding the entire city so we can't get out. But nothing to worry about. In fact, you could go back to bed if you wanted. Don't be afraid. And here's why. He doesn't just leave it at that. He qualifies. This is so important. We will come back to this. For those who are with us. Remember, it's just Elisha and his servant. That's the only ones that are obviously, physically there. Those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Reminds me of what Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us about faith. It says, now faith is the reality, the reality of what is hoped for, the evidence of what is not seen. That's obviously what is at work in Elisha's mind and his heart. He's seeing with faith. And it's what he wants his servant to see with as well. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed. Here's our prayer. Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain, the mountain above the invading army of Aram, that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha didn't say, Lord, do away with this great army. Do away with it right now. Destroy them. Let your fire fall on them and let them be gone. He didn't pray that. He said, Lord, I want you to open my servant's eyes so he can see what I see, what I know. 
And that's that there is an army of heaven surrounding the army of Aram and surrounding us. They have horses and chariots. We've got horses of fire with angelic armies. Let them see it. And he did. He saw it. He saw that reality, that great overarching reality, greater than the reality right in front of his eyes. I'm reminded of the line from the conductor. You know, we're talking about the Christmas outreach, so I think it's fitting that we refer to a Christmas movie. It reminds me of the line of the conductor from the Polar Express. You know, it's a, now a classic movie, the Polar Express, and the uh, conductor there, which is played by Tom Hanks, he says, sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. I think that's true. That's certainly what this servant found out. Church, there are many of you that right now are going through a tremendous, tremendous time with difficult, overwhelming, scary circumstances. We know of the layman's. Doug, we love you. Praying for you every single moment for Leanne. They are facing every single day overwhelming circumstances that they didn't ask for. They didn't say, God, please send this trial into my life. And yet he did. And there's others. The Hicks. (laughs) Goodness, their outbuilding burned down while Lauren was trying to, I think, take care of some honeybees. And, and uh, there were other bees in there that, that weren't honeybees. They were hornets. And there was a fire, and they didn't like that. And they didn't like that Lauren was in there. So not only did the, the fire happen, but she got stung 21 times, also receiving burns. And then the building is burning down, and her phone got burned up in it. And this is all just a regular day. Like, she didn't wake up, I hope, Lord, that you send me a trial today. You know, life's pretty dull. I hope that, would you just catch our outbuilding on fire for me? Would you do that? She didn't pray that. She just went about a normal day. Those are just two specific examples of things that that I know about, and most of you do too. I don't know about what is going on right now in your life, right where you're at sitting in this chair, what you came in with today. You know. And some of you don't know what is waiting on you down the road in your life. What's going to come into your life that you did not expect or ask for. There are overwhelming circumstances and situations that constantly come our way this side of heaven. It's a fact of life. But here's the other thing, and this is, this is where we get into the practical parts now of what we just read, this passage. Here's what we see from just this brief passage. Here's what we see true of, of what the servant of Elisha was able to see. Here's what the Lord did by allowing the people of Aram to surround them and what He did in showing the servant the greater reality. It's a reality that is ours as well. It's it's a fact that we need to cling to, believe, recall, remember, and apply. 
And that's this. Every situation that comes your way had to go through God before it got to you. Every single situation that comes your way had to go through God before it got to you. That's the good situations, the bad situations, the in-between. Every single situation. Because we have a sovereign God that is sovereign over every aspect and detail of our life. Not just the sunny days, but the rainy ones as well. Not just the high, really good times, but the low, dark times as well. He's either sovereign all the time, or He's not sovereign at all. You can't pick and choose when you're going to believe in the sovereignty of God. You also can't pick and choose when you're going to believe that God is good. Like, I'm going to believe God is good so long as good things are going on in my life. So long as good things are happening to me. Yeah, praise God, you're good. Okay, but what about when those good times aren't there? Is he still good? That's the question we all have to ask ourselves. We all have to come to the place in our faith journey where we are able to answer resoundingly, yes, God, you are still good no matter what. You are still good when that really, really bad diagnosis comes my way. You're still good. You're above it. You're beyond it. You're doing something in this that I can't see, that I don't know, but it doesn't change the fact that you're in control and that you are still good in all that you do. When you lose those precious heirlooms and cherished things that that you didn't want to see burned up, Lauren had to get to the point right then where she said, even though that happened, and even though I'm burned and I'm stung and I'm in pain emotionally and physically, that doesn't change the goodness of my God. And she didn't settle that right there in that moment, by the way. That had to be something she settled in her mind and heart before that happened. Just as Doug and his family had to already be settled on the fact that God is good, period, long before this current trial. You see, if, if God is good, church, and if God doesn't ever change, which He has to not do if He's God, you with me? If, if God is God, that means He never changes. He has to be the same all the time. And if God is perfectly, completely good, that means He is never anything but good. The difference is that doesn't mean His being good will always match or line up with the way we define good. But that doesn't change the fact that He is always good. And if He is always good and can't be anything else but good or He would not be God, if that's true, and it is, then that means everything that He allows to come through His perfect, good, sovereign hands and come your way, that means it has to ultimately be for your highest good, which He alone sees and knows about, 
and it's ultimately for his glory, which is also ultimately for our good. Because we will always be at our best when his glory is on display in and through our lives. So are you tracking with me on that? That was a little bit of some apologetics there, but it's something we all need to know about. We all need to establish that in our minds. It's not easy, and it's not natural. Trust me, I know. I've walked through the unexpected and the tragic, and I was at a crisis point in my life, and I was at a crisis point in my faith, and I almost walked away from God completely while even I was a pastor at the time when my mom was called home. And I didn't understand it, and I begged for a a physical healing right here and now, and I was determined it was going to happen, and the answer was, no, I'm not going to heal her here, and now I'm going to heal her by bringing her home to glory, and I'm going to heal her permanently that way. But I didn't understand it, and I didn't understand him, but I had to get to the point where I said, I'm not going to believe you're good just as long as the good things that I want happen. I'm going to believe that you are good no matter what and that everything that you let come through your hands into my life, even if I don't see it, must be for my good and for your glory. And you've got to get to that point too. You've got to get to that point, believer, if you're going to be a believer. So here's the bad news. And it's not really news. You know this if you've lived any time at all. The bad news is there will always be overwhelming circumstances that surround us. There always will be. The good news, though, is that God is always able to overcome what feels overwhelming to us. And that's the really good news. There's always going to be overwhelming circumstances that come our way and surround us, just like the army of Aram surrounded Elisha and his servant. There's always going to be that. What are the overwhelming circumstances that are surrounding you right now? What are the overwhelming circumstances that are going on in and around your life that that I don't know about? Maybe nobody else knows about, but you do. It's like you're looking out in the morning and you see a host of, of enemies around you. What is that for you right now? Whatever it is, the really good news for you, for me, for all of us that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is that God is always able to overcome what feels overwhelming to us all the time. Now, that does not mean in any way that God promised that we would never face overwhelming circumstances. God never promised that, ever. You're not going to find a single verse in Scripture where God promises that we would never face overwhelming circumstances. Come to my son, become a Christian, and you will never struggle. You're never going to find that. So anytime you hear such a statement that's said to you as, as being the truth of God, dismiss it as a lie of the devil because that's what it is. God never promised we would never face overwhelming circumstances. He did, however, promise that in Jesus and through Jesus, everything that can feel overwhelming has already been overcome. And that's the truth that I I just want to proclaim as loud and and as, as mightily as I can. Hear that this morning, church. Hear that, Christian. That everything that can feel overwhelming and that does feel overwhelming in our lives has 
already, already been overcome by Jesus because of him. But don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Here's what Jesus himself said in John 16, 33. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. He said, here on earth, you will have, you will have, not you might have. It's possible that you could experience this. He said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But he didn't stop there. Aren't you glad he didn't end there? Aren't you glad that wasn't the end of the statement? But take heart. Why, Jesus? You just said we're going to have many trials and sorrows here on earth. Why should we take heart? He gives us the answer. Because I have overcome the world. Then in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul writes, and this this church, this is one of the most glorious, powerful, hope filling passages in all of the Bible. If you don't know Romans 8, and if you haven't even memorized most, if not all of this, this should be your goal. Romans 8 is so essential for our hope and our encouragement. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. I'm going to read just some of the verses. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. In verse 31 of Romans 8, he says this, If God is for us, which He is, If you are in Christ, He is for you. If God is for us, who is against us? Who can be against us? He did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him, with Jesus, grant us everything? Verse 35, He says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. I mean, that's a pretty bad list. Those are a lot of big things. It says, can those separate us? Do they have the power? Because those are some powerful obstacles. Can they separate us from the love of God that is in Christ? No, verse 37. No, in all. All these things, all of those terrible things, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him, not ourselves, through Him, through Jesus who loved us. Then verse 38, Paul says, I am convinced, I'm absolutely sure it's settled permanently in my mind and heart. I hope you can say this today. Oh, I hope this is true of you that you can say with Paul, I am convinced of this, that nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, as powerful as that is, as scary and overwhelming as death is, neither death nor life, and that's like saying nothing in life, neither angels nor demons, as foreboding and fierce as they can be, Neither our fears for today, like our our present anxieties, nor our worries about tomorrow, all that we don't know, all the unknown that's out there that's not known to us. The things we know about and are struggling with and burdened by today, as well as our worries about tomorrow, the unknown, not those either. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above. This is verse 39. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? And if that doesn't get you fired up, then your wood's underwater. Praise God. So why then, if this is true of every believer, then why do so many believers walk around so overcome and overwhelmed and fearful and lacking any sort of hope and vitality in their faith? Why? The reason, I feel, the reason we so often walk through life blind to the presence and power of God like Elisha's servant was at first. You know, he couldn't see the armies of heaven. He was despairing. What are we going to do, Master? And the reason we are so often like him as opposed to being like Elisha, the reason we so often walk through life blind to the presence and the power of God is because we are just too focused on ourselves. We are just too focused on our concerns. We are just too focused on our circumstances rather than being focused on God's constant presence and constant power in and around our lives, which is constantly there, constantly. There is never a time where we, could, we will be able to look back and say, God, where were you? I was all alone. You weren't there. Never. In all of eternity, we'll never be able to say that. Oh, God, you missed one. That'll never be able to be said by us. That doesn't mean we're guaranteed to always have the answer for the why. I mean, a lot of the, answer, the questions that we don't get answered here in, in this life, I believe we will get answered in heaven, but that doesn't mean that all of them will be answered. And if we don't have the questions of why God did you allow, if we don't have that answered in eternity, guess what? By then it won't matter to us. And for those glimpses that He does give us, where He, he shows us the tapestry that He was weaving, the tapestry of His grace, the tapestry of His glory, through in the midst of our trials, those precious times where He will reveal that to us, we will fall on our faces and say, praise you, God. Thank you for using me to accomplish your glory. But until then, until then, we have to have eyes of faith. And so what we are constantly in need of is a shift in focus. A shift in focusing from fear to focusing on faith. And that's not something you and I are able to do on our own. But that is something God is always able to do. And that's what we need to ask Him for. That needs to be our prayer. Just like Elisha prayed, don't, Lord, I'm not asking you to get, do away with this enemy. He could have prayed that. He didn't. He said, Lord, I want you to open the eyes of my servant so that he sees your army that is far greater than the army that's in front of us. And we need to follow that pattern of prayer. Instead of praying for God to show up and do some amazing new thing, which sometimes, let's be honest, that's the way we pray. 
Oh, God, please just show up. Just show up in this situation. God, I want you to show up in this circumstance. God, I want you to show up in this trial. God, I want you to show up and do some amazing new thing. Give me some fresh vision of your power and remove this obstacle. Maybe you pray that way. And and certainly we know that that is the kind of the trend of how to pray, you know, in the modern church in Christendom. That's what many, many people are encouraged to pray. Oh God, show up in great new fresh ways. Oh God, give us a fresh demonstration of your power. Can I just suggest to you that's not the way to pray? Instead of praying that way, here's what we need to pray. We need to ask God to help us see that he is always with us. He is already with us. We don't need to ask God to show up. We need to say, God, help me to see all the ways you're already here. And instead of asking God to do some big new thing, we need to say, God, help me to see the way that you are always, always working. That you're already at work and you always are. Don't pray for God to show up and show off. Say, God, help me to see that you are always with me and that you are always working. That needs to be our prayer. Let's let's pray that consistently, continually, and let's pray that right now. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how relevant it is. I thank you for how powerful it is. I thank you that we see such practical, practical application from this passage. And we'll see, we'll see practical application next week as we finish this passage. Thank you for what you have instructed us with and shown us and taught us through this brief passage with Elisha and his servant. Father, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters. I want to pray for this congregation. That as Elisha asked for his servant, I ask for us, for all of us, Lord, open our eyes. Give us eyes to see who you are, really. What you are, really. That you are always good, always all-powerful, always sovereignly in control, and in all that you do and all that you are, you are perfectly good. Help us to believe that. Give us the ability to believe that. Help us to see that you are always with us and that you are always for us. Help us to see and believe all the ways that you are always at work. There's never a time where you're not at work in and through our lives, around our lives, in our circumstances, in our situations. Help us to see and believe that nothing that we are dealing with did not have to come through your perfectly good hands first. And that no matter what is overwhelming us, it can be overcome by you in your perfect timing and in your perfect way. Help us to see these things, I pray. Give us eyes to see and give us a heart to believe it and the ability to live it out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.